Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More Books. We hope you're all staying safe and healthy throughout this quarantine. This week, we'll be reviewing Stress Less, Accomplish More by Emily Fletcher at Emily Stella Fletcher on Instagram. This book is a how-to meditation book for achievement-minded individuals who believe either they don't have the time to meditate or the ability to meditate consistently. Emily tells the story of how the stresses of a 10-year career on Broadway led her to India to study the one thing that got her through those crazy years, meditation. She shares the wisdom she learned while studying meditation in India for three years. She then explains the Z technique, the meditation practice that she developed for the ordinary person and then used to start her meditation company, Ziva. This book is packed with scientific-based studies around the neurological benefits of meditation that explains the transformational power of a practice. The compelling research and immutable results of meditation, paired with Emily's remarkable storytelling, makes for an incredible page-turner that can make a profound impact on readers' lives. In the first few chapters, Emily poses a powerful question. Would you be willing to invest 2% of your day if you knew it would improve the other 98%? We believe this is a no-brainer. She explains, meditation is simply a tool to help you reach your goals. It's never the goal itself. We meditate to get good at life not to get good at meditation. Both Benoit and I have been meditating every morning for the past year. However, this book transformed the way we look and approach our practices. In this episode, we will discuss our biggest takeaways from Emily's book, the many scientific benefits that she presents, as well as our significant experiences with and from meditation. We hope this episode brings you an effective toolkit that allows you to find a sense of calmness and composure amidst this challenging time. Yeah, as Aiden explained that I've been meditating on a daily basis since last September. However, I've only been meditating once a day, the first thing when I woke up. And in the book, Emily Fletcher talks about the importance and her specific technique of Z technique to meditate twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. Since the quarantine has happened, I have been applying to new opportunities and to different jobs because I will be transitioning out of my current position as a program manager to hopefully a more aligning opportunity. And I think timing wise has been very interesting because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the quarantine situation and application process has honestly been pretty difficult. However, I think by meditating twice a day has brought to a certain level of groundedness and calmness into my life. So I've been applying pretty consistently to quite a few jobs and, you know, I haven't heard back from any jobs in a while because of job freezes and frankly, a lot of companies and opportunities are closed because of the COVID-19 situation. So I figured this would be a good time, such as last Sunday, to take this time and visit my parents in Pittsburgh, who live five hours away. I previously canceled my visit in April because when quarantine first happened, I wanted to ensure that I would self-quarantine myself 
with my girlfriend Becky for a minimum two weeks before potentially visiting my parents who are older and who are considered as a higher risk population. So after two weeks of extremely strict self-quarantine, we decided to visit my parents and we spent a few days in Pittsburgh while working from home. And, you know, immediately after we drove back from Pittsburgh, after a long drive, we immediately got back to our daily routine of me working from home and Becky studying in a rotation. And on Thursday morning, Becky realized that her step two medical board exam, which is an extremely integral part of her medical board process, was canceled due to the extended stay-at-home quarantine order and this continuous situation and chaos being unfolded due to the coronavirus. And Becky did not respond to that news of cancellation very well, and she panicked. Through her panicking behavior, she was not able to control emotions, which created a certain conflict. And Becky and I, we ended up fighting over the incidents. So we fought all day on Thursday, and which ruined my mood and affected my workflow for the remaining day. And even after we took a break to each ourselves to you know take our time just doing our work, the mood and the tension, the elephant in the room didn't quite dissipate and we continued to fight all the way until midnight. And this was probably the most significant and the most severe fight that Becky and I experienced during our relationship, especially it's our first time fighting during our living situation because we moved in together during this quarantine time. So on Friday morning, we each meditated uh, separately and I really took the intentional time being even more intentional with my intentions, with my thoughts, and with my personal feedback during my 20 minutes meditation uh, per Emily Fletcher's technique. And during the meditation, a lot of thoughts have emerged through my mind, and I was able to, in a very collective manner, to recollect many of my thoughts, which would have been very regretful if I just said those without thinking too much. So after our meditation session, Becky and I, we talked, and we actually ended up having probably the most important conversation and the most profound and important debrief and post-argument reflection that we had. And we reflected and we debriefed for about three to four hours on Friday, all the way until about 1 p.m. And I felt extremely at peace. And we each had our individual and collective epiphanies from the fight and from the debrief. And it has actually ever more reinforced our commitments to our relationship in a long-term format and that we are going to actually move in together next year, this time after her residency. But of course, uh, I want to highlight not the actual fight of the story, but what happened after that. So after we had this most important conversation that we've ever had while debriefing about the fight, quite a significant coincidence has occurred. So about five minutes after a debrief, I received a call while I was in the bed making up after the fight with Becky. And actually it was a interview request from a employment opportunity that I applied about a month ago. And since I haven't heard back for a while, I've initially given up and I thought, wow, that was the end of an opportunity. The call just came just at the right time because I felt completely at peace with myself from the conversation. And since I was able to articulate to the best of my ability with my calm state of mind, The interviewer was so impressed with my articulation and with my responses initially that she actually proceeded to having the first round of interview on the spot. And I was able to, in return, receive a second round interview opportunity request on next Wednesday. In hindsight, if I were to receive the interview call, even 30 minutes 
an hour or a day prior, I would not have been able to ace the interview due to my volatile and emotional state. Because during the fight, I actually ended up crying with Becky because of how significant and severe the fight was. The phone call happened exactly as it should have happened at the exact right time and as it was meant to be. And you know, this and a few other coincidence and so-called meta incidents that I cannot quite explain logically have occurred since I transformed my twice daily meditative practices after reading this book. It's not always about the specific technique, but I think it's rather the consistent daily practice and the absolute commitment to improve yourself. Yeah, awesome story, Ben. I really think that that coincidence and that story with Becky really illustrates two of the biggest points that Emily discusses in her book. First being intuition and second being these meta coincidences. Uh, I think we'll start with the latter. The coincidences that she talks about, she describes as free parking karma, which I thought was interesting. She basically outlines how when you're meditating frequently, you're very aligned with intuition or nature or whatever that may be. And she describes her experiences as well as experiences of many of her students of just finding beneficial coincidences, like finding a great parking spot. And when I was reading this, I was a little suspicious and definitely scratching my head. It's like, how could sitting on a mat for 15 minutes let me get better parking spots? But when I had read that chapter, I just kind of started believing it. Maybe a lot of people say that when you start looking for something, you see them. Like if you just bought a car and then you look around and think that everyone has that car. Do you know what that's called? No, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just when you're looking for it, you see it. So I certainly acknowledge that aspect of it. But I was reading this book last March and meditating twice a day. And to a T, the days that I was meditating regularly, I would find crazy good spots right outside my driveway and it was almost too coincidental to overlook. And then the days where I skipped, say I woke up late, rushed to work, didn't really have time to sit on my mat for those 15 minutes, I'd be circling for 30 minutes. Like it was no joke, meditate, find parking, don't meditate, struggle to find parking. So I think the thing that explains this free parking karma term that she brings up, whether that's my own instance of actually parking spots legitimately, or even your intuition of how to direct and navigate a difficult conversation with your girlfriend boils down to the idea of intuition. And the biggest thing that I learned from the book is that a meditation practice improves intuition. It's difficult to explain because intuition is a bit subjective and hard to measure, but you just feel that you're making better decisions. Sometimes that could lead to better parking spots of, hey, I want to turn down 9th Street rather than 7th Street, or hey, I think I should circle the block rather than go look for another area. And I think equally in your case of you knew the right way to proceed in conversation in a respectful and productive manner. The really cool thing about this book is it actually explains why meditation improves intuition. So as she explains in the book, Meditation strengthens the corpus callosum. It's a part of your brain that connects the left and right hemispheres. So the left brain is in charge of the critical and analytical thought, while your right brain is the more creative side, your intuition and artistic abilities. So she outlines many studies that actually show 
the longer you've been meditating, the longer the corpus callosum. So the easier it is to switch between left and right brain activities. So examples that she gives in the book is coming up with a witty comeback in the midst of a emotional discussion or thinking of a creative solution when strapped with a immediate deadline, all of which are circumstances that we all face on our day to days and really would benefit from of being able to utilize both the left and the right to come up with the best solution possible. So Emily does a great job explaining this idea of brain cohesion meaning the communication and interaction between the two hemispheres. In her book, she outlines it with studies and research as well as tells personal stories of her and her clients that really illustrate this well, and I can't echo that anymore with my experience. Absolutely. Emily's experiences and her expertise and her exceptional ability to outline scientific studies to even reinforce the immutable results that we mentioned in the introduction. And yeah, I like that, Aiden, you talked about Meditation improves brain cohesion and it enables one to make the right move, just like in a chess game. Because when I was thinking back to my debrief and my post-argument conversation with Becky, I did think about how should I proceed this? Because we were fighting all night. And of course, I could have proceeded in a hostile, defensive or offensive way. And many times I think when a couple fight and argue, the argument becomes resentful because... Two partners do not give enough space for another to truly talk about what's in their mind and to truly create a space and a platform for the other person can be heard, truly. And during our debrief conversation, there are many occasions where instinctively and initially I wanted to talk over her or I wanted to rebuttal what she said. But I think because of my consistent daily meditative practices, my intuition and my intuitive behavior improved. And I actually took a pause between my initial response to my actual reaction that I decided to just have this silence to really think about what I want to say. And is this something that I want to convey? And am I going to regret what I tell my girlfriend, who I very much love? Because of those intuitive behaviors that I was able to fine tune through my meditation practices, I think the conversation, the debrief, became the most important conversation we've had and we shared and that I'm very glad that it was able to give me this peaceful and calm state of mind afterwards that of course ultimately enabled me to ace interview and I'm not sure what this technique is called but in many therapy practices when a lot of therapists are dealing with I guess more stubborn or more introverted or with a lot of patients with difficult emotional state who are not keen to opening up initially Therapists are told and trained to stay silent for up to an hour, the whole session, and to numerous workshops and training I've attended with numerous clinical psychotherapists. They've told stories of they've spent up to a month of complete silence with some of the clients that share more emotional vulnerabilities and more emotional difficulties. And for the therapists, by creating this silent space, because oftentimes less is more. By creating this intentional space to be silent, they're giving the patients and the clients a space to open up. And I think for me, doing that subconsciously or intuitively, I was able to create a space for Becky to open up and for her to bring up numerous, extremely profound and enlightening responses that I've never heard before that truly changed and reinforced how much I truly care about her 
and how actually insightful she actually was. Yeah, man. And I think a big part of that comes down to a really old idea. I think the philosopher William James talks about it, but it's the idea that action actually precedes emotion rather than emotion preceding action. So in this case, you got grounded, you got clear and actually went through the specific ideas that you wanted to talk to your girlfriend about and how those would impact the conversation going forward. However, if you approach the conversation in that emotional state, the action probably would have been to react emotionally and without as much clarity as you had initially. So I can't echo this anymore of how meditation's impacting my life is that it allows me to get grounded and clear and relaxed before going into work. I'm not exactly sure what's the driver of it, but it seems like every day I miss meditation, I get so much more work at work. So whether it's the perceived workload and how capable I am to fulfill those work requests, or actually the fact of getting more work doesn't matter because my reality shows myself getting more work when I don't meditate. So for that reason, I've made it an absolute non-negotiable in my morning routine so I can feel grounded and relaxed before moving in by taking that action of meditating every morning. So before we move into the technique itself, I think we want to talk about the science a little bit because to me that was the most interesting part, really what research and studies were showing about how impactful it is for one's health and how profound the benefits are. So the first one for me, Emily mentions, is revolving around meditation and mindfulness in the corporate setting. So as she writes in her book, major corporations are starting to realize what meditation can do for company performance, and they're beginning to offer it to their employees. Aetna, one of the largest insurance companies in the world, offered mindfulness courses to its workforce, and more than a quarter of its 50,000 employees signed up, reported the New York Times. On average, people who took the course experienced a 28% reduction in stress levels, a 20% improvement in sleep quality, and a 19% reduction in pain. Crucially, the Aetna practitioners also became much more effective at their jobs, gaining on average 62 minutes a week of productivity and saving the company $3,000 per employee per year. Demand for the programs continues to rise at Aetna. Every class is overbooked. And all of this came from them practicing only one of the three M's you're going to learn about in this book. Yeah, I think it is very important that Emily actually included those scientific studies and those specific stats because we are both extremely quantitative and scientifically minded. So it's important for us to see the actual proof for me to proceed or to even try something. And Edna is, of course, one of the biggest corporations. So the fact that a company like that was able to incorporate such a practice I think truly shows and describes the gravity and the importance of such practice could have on the workforce. And I want to describe a little bit about what she meant by one of three M's. So in the book, she of course describes it in more details, but she defines three M's as below. Mindfulness. It is the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. It is an effective tool for changing your level of stress in the right now. Being mindful it's going to help you focus on the now. The second M, meditation, is helping you to get rid of your stress from the past. Because I think anxiety is about worries of the past and through meditation, it's going to help you stay more grounded and help you move away and eventually eradicate your stress. Third and final M is manifesting. 
is about designing a life you love. It is the act of being grateful for what you have and while practicing that. Yeah, I think the distinguishment between mindfulness meditation and manifesting is one of the most interesting and important elements of the book because as she explains, most meditation apps like Headspace or Calm and all of those are actually mindfulness practices because all of the verbal cues and the music that are provided by the apps are helping you bring awareness into the present moment. And she explains that while this is certainly important and beneficial to dealing with anxieties and quieting the mind and maintaining a good headspace, it's really the next step meditation that does most of the important work. For anyone that's tried meditating, you'll definitely recognize that you'll start thinking after trying to calm your mind. So she mentions an analogy that I really love, and that's just as your heart can't stop beating, you can't make your brain stop thinking. And this really changed the game of meditation for me because for the longest time I would get discouraged that I would think during meditation or that I couldn't really quiet my mind. But she shows that that's actually the important thing of meditation is looking at those thoughts, accepting them as they are, and then continuing on with the practice. So she summarizes the three M's as mindfulness helps you deal with stress in the present, meditation gets rid of stress from the past, and manifesting helps you clarify your dreams for the future. Yeah, and I think it is an extremely important notion for Emily to actually distinguish and note that there are three different components of meditation. Because in the book, she also talks about that the biggest deficiency and the reason why it's hard for people to feel relatable or even gravitate towards meditation because it is such a vast field with so many variable practices. And she says that viewing all these different practices under meditation solely as meditation is the same defective practice as viewing all types of food just as food burger is food so is pizza so is pasta and all those foods are have different components and different characteristics and have serves different benefits so by categorizing all those practices as meditation it's equally ineffective as categorizing all those different cuisines under the umbrella of food. So I love that Emily was able to distinguish the different components and even explains the different functionalities of each practices. And we want to share another scientific case study that we've both found very interesting from the book. So in 2015, a team from Harvard actually published findings from an experiment in which they conducted baseline MRIs on participants before starting half of them on a regular meditative practice program. So during the course of the experiments, subjects answer questions about their moods and emotional states. Those in the meditation group reported more positive overall feelings and a reduction of stress. At the end of eight weeks, the scans were re repeated and the brains of those who had begun meditating showed unmistakable physical changes, including shrinking of the amygdala, that is the brain's fear center, which expands when the brain is steeped into cortisol or other stress hormones, an expansion of the brainstem, where dopamine and serotonin, the chemicals responsible for feelings of happiness, love, and contentment originate. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Emily talks about that in only two months, meditation can change the brain enough to be visibly detected by MRI. And... 
Emily concludes that study by saying that meditation is literally mind changing. And I think that's just another case study to reinforce and highlight the transformative and the profound and the powerful impact that meditation could have on one's physical and emotional self. So this one was hands down my favorite study that Emily mentions in the book because staying calm and collected under stress, I think, is the most impactful effect of meditation, which she explains from a scientific background. The shrinking of the amygdala during stressful times really allows you to put the stress aside and respond in a calm and collected manner. She says a quote of, there's no such thing as a stressful event, only a stressful response to the event, which I mentioned as one of my biggest lessons learned at the age of 25, because this fundamentally shifted the way that I approach work, stress, just any kind of challenges in my life. I see now as having the choice of being stressed or not. So even at four o'clock on an afternoon, if I were to get prescribed a large amount of work that may take the next three hours, instead of going into fight or flight and panicking of how I were to get the work done and stressing that I didn't want to stay late, meditation has taught me to take a breath and kind of just accept that I was going to have to get the deliverable done and proceed in a productive and effective manner. I think this element of it is the most beneficial to people because everyone faces stressful events in their lives. And the actual shrinking of the amygdala is the thing that allows them to deal with it in a productive manner. So whether that's a deliverable, whether it's a challenging conversation that you have to adapt and navigate in an effective manner that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, meditation is a profound way of staying calm and collected under stressful times. This is the only times in life where it's okay for guys to have shrinkage. (laughs) (laughs) Or the only benefit of shrinkage that any man could experience. (laughs) And just want to quickly mention one of my biggest examples of this actually occurred a couple weeks ago when I was interviewing for the new position I'll be taking this next month. I had five interviews over the phone in the course of seven days. Up until my meditation practice, I was a little bit scared and unhappy about the whole interviewing process, especially over the phone. However, when I was asked a challenging question in my final interview with the CFO, instead of panicking and stumbling over my words like I probably would have just two years ago, I was able to take a deep breath, collect my thoughts, and respond in a very appropriate and optimal way. So I think the biggest change for me outside of obviously a meditation practice and finding that gap between the stimulus and then my response is the idea of I'll be happy when syndrome that Emily mentions in her book. So as she explains, I'll be happy when syndrome is that idea that I think we all know of I'll be happy when I get that raise or I'll be happy when I get that boyfriend or girlfriend or I'll be happy when I get that new job just putting happiness on the other side of whatever that obstacle is whatever that next timeline or point in time may be but she says with meditation you learn to be happy in the here and now which I think I can't echo anymore in the instance of this job interview instead of saying I'll be happy when I get this job or I'll be happy 
when I'm working for this new boss and for a better salary, I'm saying I'm happy now. If I get this job, it would be great. I would definitely be grateful to be working for a new company in a new situation. However, what happens happens and I accept job offer or a job denial. So really that repositioning of I'll be happy when to I'm happy now, let's see what else happens, I think was a giant reframe from this book and is one of the biggest reasons why I encourage people to get out and read it. Yeah, that's a great story, Aiden. And I just want to highlight another story that comes into my mind and the example that is very concurrent to both of us as the host of this show is that we don't generate and we don't prepare any pre-questions for our guests on the show. So by using the same mindset, by learning to let go of any questions that we have, by being truly present and being happy at the moment, we're actually able to generate a lot more thoughtful and insightful responses and questions to whatever the content and whatever the responses that the guest has to bring. And that has become our greatest weapons and that has become one of our greatest strengths. And as a result, every single one of the guests have shared the post-interview experience with us that they really appreciate our thoughtful and at the same time provocative questions from our end, even though we did not pre-plan any of the questionnaires because we've completely let go of our expectations, completely let go of our desires. Instead, rely and depend solely on our intuition to let those questions flow freely in the most optimal way, which is a thesis of the meditation and the thesis of Emily's book. Yeah, absolutely. I can't agree more. I think intuition has been one of our biggest weapons when it comes to effective interviewing. And I'm so happy that Emily introduced us to that idea. So before we wrap this up, I think we want to briefly describe the Z technique that Emily elegantly describes in her book. And we would definitely recommend you picking it up to actually hear and read about her full description start to finish of the process. But we're going to briefly walk you through mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. So mindfulness is when you actually come to your senses, really when you get quiet, put everything else aside, and really focus on what's around you in the present moment. So she outlines a process that's super effective in focusing on each of your five sentences and thinking about the most tactile sensation and the least tactile sensation of each of those sentences. So if you have your eyes closed, what is the biggest thing that I can see or the most tactile thing I can see? Probably darkness. What is the least tactile thing I can see? Maybe a small sliver of light coming in from one end and going through your five senses and thinking the most and least tactile sensation for each of those to really bring yourself into the present moment. So it might seem a little unusual of thinking of what's the least tactile thing that I can smell or that I can taste, but really by focusing in, asking that specific question, it allows you to get really in tune with what's happening in the here and now, and ultimately allows you to proceed to the second step of the three M's meditation. And for the practice of meditation, she recommends using a toolkit known as mantra and she gave us a recommendation of using the word one and one symbolizes one unity one faith one god and whatever that one means but one is simply just a mantra and she actually defines mantra as below so men is literally means mind and tra means vehicle 
So she recommends using the mantra of one or however other words that you see fit to anchor your focus. Because when you're in a meditative state, because of all these incessant thinking, these thoughts that are entirely out of our control, it's going to be very difficult for most people to have some sort of focus. So having a mantra is having this intentional focal point to help you accelerate the process to achieve that meditative state. However, it is important to note something that Emily talked about, and she actually warns people using against mantra as a baseball bat. What that analogy means is that we're going to have these incessant thoughts and these internal thought processes occur inevitably so. However, we need to view those thoughts as part of the experience. So do not use mantra of one as a baseball bat to bat off all the thoughts against it for the sake of staying focused. That's going to deter you away from the true holistic experience of meditation. Instead, be non-judgmental and actually welcome those thought processes and let those thoughts finish in a gentle manner and just resume by using mantra. And that's going to help you sustain that meditative state. And the last little trick that she recommends is do not use an alarm at the end of your meditation session because an alarm is literally too alarming for your meditative state and it's going to forcibly snap you out of that state into reality. So simply use a stopwatch or just use a watch and just be mindful of what time it is. And she actually talks about one can practice her internal biological clock, but she talks in more details in the book. And last but not least, manifesting. So she describes the purpose of manifesting is of course about the practice of gratitude because how can you strive for something better and how can you in an attempt to achieve something greater in the future if you do not appreciate, if you don't practice gratitude of what you already have now. So she starts a manifesting stage by practicing what are you most grateful for right now? And it's a little bit different from gratitude practice because she's not asking you to repeat what you're grateful for three or four things just simply just start with one to get into that grateful state of mind and she says that you're using that gratitude to propel you forward towards the path that you truly desire which is where you manifest your dream as it's already happening so after you practice gratitude for 20 to 30 seconds about what you're grateful for at that very moment or on the day you transition into your dream and you're imagining that one goal, one intention, or one dream that you've had, and you picture it as it's already happening. And I think through that, you're conditioning and priming yourself to get used to that sensation, to get used to that feeling, and that perception of what could be done without any expectations of attachment. And I think it is a grateful state of mind that's going to truly enable you to receive the optimal outcome and opportunities they're truly desired for such as the cases of Aiden, when he was able to ace those five interviews without any attached expectations. And for my case, where I was not expecting any phone call, yet I was able to articulate to the best of my ability and to receive the opportunity in a calm state of mind. And I think those allude to the power and the potential of meditation and the third stage of manifesting. Yeah, I think manifesting has gotten a lot of traction and popularity over the last couple years, especially under like the law of attraction kind of ideas. Uh, There is a story that I really like about actor Jim Carrey that really illustrates this manifesting piece is that when he was just starting off just into Hollywood 
and kind of starting to embark on his acting career, he wrote himself a check for $10 million and kept it in his wallet every day for a year or something like that. And I don't think he'd made more than like $100,000 up until that point. So obviously writing a check for $10 million was kind of absurd. But within a year or two, whenever that time had passed, he had actually gotten the offer for his first big film of Dumb and Dumber and was paid that amount of money. So, you know, this is one story that implements this, but I've seen instances like this. I know the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill explains the idea of writing out exactly how much money you want to have by the end of the year. So knowing where you want to go paired with the intuition of meditation often guides you towards those places that you want to go. It's really not exactly explainable, but I think Emily Fletcher's book Stress Less Accomplish More does the best job I've ever seen of someone explaining it. So as we're coming to a close, I really want to thank all of our listeners for making it through. We think this is one of our most important episodes, especially at a crazy time like we're living in now in quarantine in COVID-19. We think meditation is one of the most powerful tools out there. And we'd like to leave you with a quote that Emily Fletcher gives from one of the physicians that she worked with. She taught the physician the Z technique. The physician was giving it to many of his patients, and this was one of the conclusions that he came upon. If I could prescribe one thing to every single patient who walks in my door, it would be this. Learn a daily meditation practice. It will change your life. It literally rewires the brain, calms the nervous system, and creates new neural pathways via plasticity mechanisms. It lowers stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, lowers heart rate and blood pressure, decreases inflammation, increases focus, and makes you feel centered and grounded, to name just a few benefits. You can do it anywhere, and it requires a very small chunk of time with massive results. So with that, we'd like to come to a close of the episode, but also challenge our audience to use this quarantine to experiment with a meditation practice. Try your absolute best to do seven days of meditation consistently, and let us know how it goes for you. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.